restudying, relooking, uh, looking at and making it more applicable for us today. Uh, before we get there, uh, Nicole, go ahead and stand up if you would, please. This is Nicole, and she wants me to recognize her, and so I did, okay? As I've told you many a times, don't mess with the guys with the microphones. So, so now, uh, we are obviously studying habits, and we're going to get to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and and these habits that we're doing, a habit is an acquired behavior, regularly followed until it almost becomes involuntary. And you can develop bad habits, but you can also develop great habits. And that's what we're trying to do. And what we're doing is learning from the Word of God some of the good habits that we need to develop. You understand, it takes 21 days to develop a habit. And it only takes three days to break one. Uh, let me give you an example. If you're, if you're a person that goes to the gym and works out, it takes about three weeks, three weeks to four weeks to get that into your system, but it takes about three days of missing some workouts, and you're right back to where you're at. Uh, and it's that same pattern that goes on in our daily life, and, and the Christian life is not just the one decision you make in an altar, but it's the daily decision that you live out in your life to live for Christ. And guys, one of the things that we try to beat the drum about is this thing of Christianity isn't about saying a prayer in an altar. That's great. That's where you begin. That's the starting point. But Christianity and the life for Christ isn't about staying out of hell. It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and enacting that personal relationship into your daily life and the habits of your life. Now, the, the acrostic that we're using, I stole, okay? It was developed... I think by Saddleback's youth guy way back in the day, uh, I just took the acrostic and the, and, and the PowerPoints. Other than that, 100% of what you're hearing is coming from me, not those guys. Now, we, what we looked at is we started with hanging out with God. Today, we're going to deal with accountability. Then we're going to get into Bible memorization. We're going to get involved in the local church. We're going to talk about tithing. And then we're going to be talking about studying the Bible. And so we're just taking that acrostic and trying to figure out habits in our life. And so last week, we, or excuse me, two weeks ago, uh, when we started this series, we talked about hanging out with God. We went into Exodus and we realized that God brought us out of the world to bring us into a daily relationship with him. And we went into the manna, and we talked about how that manna is a picture of this book in front of us, and that how we are to daily feed upon that manna. And, and so what we've done is challenged each one of you to spend some time with the Lord daily, not only in his book, but in a time of prayer, in a time of spending time with the Lord. Because once again, it wasn't about just keeping you from going to hell. He brought you out of that, yes, but he also brought you in to a relationship. And so today, we're going to pick up with accountability, okay? And accountability is a very important habit that all of us need in our life. And I don't know about your life. I, I know a lot about mine. Uh, and I'm prone to tend to stray from the things of God. And what it would be nice is to have somebody in your life that keeps you focused and keeps you challenged to doing out the things that God would have you to do. Now, I'm just going to ask a question real quick because I think it's going to be applicable in just a few seconds. If you had the opportunity right now, 
Okay? We all agree that God sees all our sin, right? Like everything we do, God sees it all, right? Okay, so if you had the choice right now to say, okay, God cannot see any of my sin ever again, but everybody in this room gets to see it on this screen. Who would do that? Anybody? Raise your hand. So you, you know what's interesting? What we're saying is, I'm more bothered by you, sinful man, seeing me sin, than a holy God. And when you think about it, that's just a little odd, isn't it? wonder why we don't have that same fear of God seeing us do stuff as we would our brothers in Christ. Now, listen, I'm right there with you. I don't want my sin on these screens either. And I've often wondered about the judgment seat of Christ. If there's just going to be a digital display of my life right there in front of everybody. Now, you say, oh man, that'd be horrible. Don't worry, everybody else at that event would still have the same feeling. Like, I don't know, oh, I'm next. So, bottom line, it's interesting that we will live our life in such a way we're not bothered by a holy God, but what would keep us straight is that our brethren would see it. Because if we knew they were going to see it, then we just might live a little different. Which means... God has given us people in our lives to be in our lives to hold us on the straight and narrow and to get us to live a certain way. And I'm going to read the verses. If you're not at Ecclesiastes at this point, just look at whatever page you happen to be on intelligently as I read this. Now, I want you to see here, we're going to be talking about accountability. And what I'm going to do is read Ecclesiastes 9 and 12 through 12 here. And then we're going to go and set a foundation, and then we're going to come back to Ecclesiastes, and we're going to break it down verse by verse and apply it to the accountability in our life. But notice what Solomon says here. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up, and again, if two lie together, they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now these are some just basic understandings that God puts out in his word to let you know about teamwork and partnership. But what we want to do is apply it to our accountability and and going back to last week, or two weeks ago, on this hanging out with God thing, it's easy to stray from that if you don't have somebody challenging you to say, hey, did you read today? And not just did you read, hey man, what did you get out of today's reading? And man, all, you know, you wake up out of bed and you know, well, here in a few hours my, my buddy's going to call and he's going to want to know what I read about. Maybe I need to read but if nobody's going to know, well, I can skip it because after all, the only one's going to know is God, right? So when we come to accountability, accountability is good. And we live as Americans trained with this, we don't answer to anybody thing, okay? And we all live like that. And, and as generations go further and further, we're living at a time that people don't like to give an account of anything. 
And we like to use excuses like, well, you can't judge me. Well, that's not true, by the way. That's definitely not a Bible concept. Uh, you misunderstand what the Bible speaks about that. However, we live in a world of going, well, I'll have to answer to God for that. Okay. You also have to answer to people on this earth. And God has established that. But watch, we're going to start with, number one, you're accountable to God. There's no doubt about that. I think we would all agree. And if you look at the verses that God lays out in the Scripture, what's happening? There, there it went. I don't know if there's a delay or what. Accountable to God. All right, now, whether you become accountable to someone or some group here on this earth, you will give an account of your life to God at some point. You'll either be at the judgment seat of Christ or you'll be at the great white throne. But at some point, every human in here listening to me is going to stand looking into the eyes of God himself and you're going to give an account of your life. That's why the word accountability, okay? Now, notice in Romans 14, 1, uh, 11 and 12, he says, as it is written, I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. Now watch the wording here. He says, so then every one of us will give an account of himself to God. It's interesting. He uses that same word in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. And he says, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they will give a, there's the same word, account thereof in the day of judgment. That's interesting. Because we don't study Greek and Hebrew, and we don't need it. Because God gives us, in English, a perfect standard. However, that word that God uses for account there is translated in John 1.1 as the word. It's logos. So when referring to Jesus Christ as the living word of God, in the beginning was the word, it's the same word. It's account. It's logos. And you go, well, how does that apply? Because the word logos literally means a thought-out reason. And you guys have heard me joke a lot when uh, T, my, my middle kid, uh, was little, and you, she was getting in trouble, you'd challenge her and you'd go, why'd you do that? <clears throat> Just throw her shoulders up. <clears throat> you realize that every one of us, when we stand before Jesus, are going to give a thought-out reason why we live the life we lived. We're going to give an account of our life. And you're not going to be able to look at God and go, I don't know. Beats me. Why'd you do that? Hadn't a clue, God. No, he says, you're going to give an account to me. Now watch this. Hebrews 13, 5. Now pay attention. We're in Hebrews 13 because we're going to come back to that. And I want you to notice in verse 5, we have a famous verse that most people quote to comfort one another. Hey, you know, he's never going to leave you or forsake you. Oh, that's awesome, right? We always comfort each other. Read the verse in context. He says, let your conversation, and we have spoken many a times in this church, is an English word literally mean manner of living. And what he's saying is the way you live is a conversation to the rest of the world. It speaks a story. And he's saying, let your conversation, the way you live, be without covetousness. And be content with such things as I have, for sake said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, you understand he's not trying to comfort you. He's actually warning you. You better live right because I'm never leaving you or forsaking you. 
In other words, I'm going to see it all. Now, you drop down to verse 7. Now, we all know we're accountable to God, but in the context, we haven't left the context, we're just dropping down two verses. Verse 7, remember them which have rule over you. Now, he's going to specifically, we're not necessarily talking about the police officer or the judge or the government because he clarifies who he's talking about. Remember those which have rule of you who have spoken unto you the word of God. So who do you think he's referring to? You can say it, the pastors of the church, okay? Now, because this is leading into where I'm going, okay? Remember them which have rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. In other words, they're your, they're your example follow. And he says, considering the end of their conversation or the way they live. And you're going, okay, I, I'm not following. Hang on. We all in this room agree we're going to answer to God. But that's where many of us stop. The problem is you're accountable to this church. Now watch, because I'm going somewhere. If you're a visitor here, man, great. We are glad you're here. We want to be we want to be a blessing to you. We prayed and asked God to send you our way that we could minister to your lives. And we want, to, we want to give everything we can to get the word of God to you. But something specific happens when you decide to become a member of this local assembly. And one of the things that we do, there is a requirement to join this church. One is to sit down with a pastor and give us your baptismal story and your salvation story. But then we do one other thing. And a lot of people don't like this part. But then what we do is we get to the end of a service and we say, okay, now the doors of the church are now open to receive new members. And once you've sat down with a pastor, we ask you to get up from where you're sitting and walk down here publicly and stand. And you go, oh, I don't like that. Why do you make people do that? Here's why we do that. Number one, we want you to publicly announce that you're becoming a member of this church. But we also want our people to publicly understand that you just became a member. Now why? Because once you become a member, you are now accountable to the rest of the place. Now, you're going, oh, I'm accountable to the pastor. No, you're accountable to the local church. And you and I are to hold each other accountable to living out what this book teaches. And that when you and I get outside of that realm, it is the job of the local assembly to challenge you and provoke you to getting back right with God. God has established this. We are all accountable to the local church. Now, let me, let me, let me say this. So Justin's our senior pastor, full-time at his church. Does that mean he gets to do whatever he wants? No, he's accountable to the rest of us. I'm just, I'm just a, Jerry and is an associate, I'm just a junior associate. I'm still accountable. You know, what was interesting, I had somebody ask me recently, you know, is a year that we had swapped spots, and, and they said, well, you know, how was that year? And I said, it was tough, because I am used to, for 16 years, being the last human voice to make a decision here. And, when I, and I'm pre prefacing that human-wise. God gets to run the show. But if, it's, if a human is going to make a decision, it has to be the senior pastor 
at the final end. And one of the things that I've had to learn to do is to know what it is to now sit under a pastor. He said, well, what's the big deal? Well, when, you, when you're the senior guy for 16 years, it's a little tough to bump back into that position. And what I had to recognize was, you're not in charge anymore. We don't like that, do we? No one likes that. You mean I'm going to have to answer to him? Yes. That's all right. He has to answer to us. This is how this thing works. Follow me. I'm going somewhere. Hebrews 13, again, we're in the same chapter that we just started out when he said, you know, look to those guys that have rule over you. Submit to them. Did you, you remember when we had this word? All right. Remember them which have rule over you. Now, he goes in here in verse 13, and he says this four-letter word that is the most most important four-letter word in all the Bible. And it's a four-letter word that nobody likes. And it's the word obey. I ain't obeying no man. You better read the Bible again. You know what he says in the Old Testament? It's better to obey than to sacrifice. So you can get up here and you can sing and you can do all this stuff. You can be out there in the crowd just doing all that stuff. And that's great. God says, I'd rather you obey me. I'd rather you just listen to what I say. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, rebellion is worse than witchcraft. Let that sink in just a second. Rebellion is worse than demonic beings. Like that is unbelievable that God would say, hey, when you rebel against authority, I'm not down with that. It's demonic. So he says here in verse 13, obey them which have rule over you. Second time in the chapter. And he says, submit to them. There's a word we cannot stand. Submit? I don't submit to any man. Oh, I know. We can look at you. You can see the lifestyle. And he says, here's why you're to submit to those guys. He says, for they watch for your souls as they will give an account. Now, I don't know how God divvies this up. For the 16 years I was the pastor, I will stand and give an account of, for your souls in your life. Now, I don't know that I bump back into the junior associate position. If that means all the accounting now goes to him, if so, I've got the best position in the church. <laughs> but something tells me that's not actually what happens, because if you notice the word is, they watch for your souls. God has always been about plurality of pastors in churches. And so here's what he says. Listen, guys, you need to obey and submit to these pastors because I'm going to hold them accountable for your life. So, isn't it just fair that if I have to answer for you, you might want to have to answer to me? I mean, I, I, you know, you come and join the church and you say, I want to be a part of this local assembly, then God says submit because now that you're a member here, I'm going to hold Justin accountable 
for your life. That's some of the most scariest verses in the Bible for me. And he goes on, he says, listen, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. In other words, in my 16 years, I could list some people that it was a joy to pastor. And you'd go, man, I'm so glad they're a part of this church. And then there was other people, I'm like, whew, it is grievous to be your pastor. And I've had times when people said, you know, we've been praying, it's time for us to leave. And I'm thinking, yes, you're right. I've been praying too. I'm serious. It's just people. And you know what it boiled down to? They just weren't going to submit. They weren't going to give an account. They weren't going to obey. They were just going to do their own thing. Now watch. Matthew 18 says, Listen, and he's talking about the local church, and I'm talking about giving an account to the local church, right? He says, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his faults between thee and him alone. In other words, you got an issue, you go to this person, your brother, and you try to work it out one-on-one. Then he says, if he won't work it out, verse 16 says, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. In other words, take a couple people with you and go sit down with him. Now not, notice here, he says, and if he doesn't do it then, if he neglects to hear in verse 17, tell it to the church. Now, do you think he means the worldwide church like the whole body of Christ? No, he's talking local assembly. God has never wanted any Christian anywhere to be floating out on their own. They're all to be a part of a local church and be submitted to that local church. And that God, through the structure of the Word of God, has established authority within the local church to govern that local church. And the bottom line is, you're to bring in the church the third time. And so, here's the bottom line. Every one of us is not only accountable to God, but we're accountable to this place. Which means you don't get to say, it's my life, I'll do whatever I want with it. Well, sorry, if you are truly saved, you don't have a life. You were bought and paid for with a price, and you are not your own. And God so chooses where you're going to be at, and who you're going to submit to. So Christy and I can't just say, hey, you know what? I'm tired of being at Kelly Harbin. Let's go somewhere else. I don't get that choice. He bought me and paid for me, and he put me in his service, and he gets to choose where that is. Nathan's in the military. He don't get to go, well, I don't feel like going to that place. You know, I'd rather go and down to... Tahiti or someplace like that and protect those guys on the beaches. <laughs> like nobody gets to do that, right? Like you don't get to do it in this service either. God chooses where and when you're going to serve and what he wants you to do is submit to that local place. Now, we're moving on. Here is what I want to preach about today. So we all agree we're, we're, uh, we're going to be accountable to God. But we're going to be accountable to this church. But what I'm doing is asking you to find somebody in your life to be an accountability partner for you. Find somebody in the body of Christ that is going to hold you accountable. 
I'm not talking about necessarily your spouse because it's easy for both of you all to get out of whack. But I'm asking you to find somebody in the body of Christ to submit yourself to that will hold you accountable for reading the Word of God, praying, holding you accountable for coming to church, holding you accountable to serving the Lord in that local church, hold you accountable to witnessing the gospel. Because if we don't have somebody in our life challenging us and pushing us, we just have a tendency not to do those things. It's a whole lot easier to work out with a workout partner. Somebody in your ear going, let's go, one more rep, let's go. But when you don't have anybody, it is easy to go, yeah, that's a good for today. <laughs> We're all like that, right? Now watch as we move on. Let's go back to the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to get back over here into our verses, and we're going to see, number one, that accountability breeds success. You want to be a successful Christian, a, a successful servant of the Lord? Find an accountability partner. Find somebody in your life that will hold your feet to the fire and challenge you to be your best for God. It always breeds success. Look at the verse again. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Right? Two is better than one. You know, it's partnership. You understand Proverbs says it this way. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. So we have a file at work, and we have chisels, and we use them on a regular basis, and they get dull. And so when they get dull, you put them in a vise, and you take that that file and just and just slide it across it it's called friction and what god says is if you truly have a friend in your life that person will challenge you in ways you don't like he'll challenge you with some friction one of the greatest compliments i ever got in the ministry was when we started out i was at my father-in-law's church yeah, it's young, cocky, not calm and relaxed now, you know, like <laughs> the new me. So I'm there, and I'm the head of the young adults class, which I am now, so it doesn't look like I've ever graduated. So I'm there, and I'm, I'm heading up this group, and my electrician, many of you guys have known Lamar, we were deacons together, uh, he does all the wiring in our church, and he's a good friend of mine, and his wife wasn't a fan of mine. Okay, shocker, all right? But anyway, we ended up leaving that church and coming to Kelly Harbin, and one of the greatest compliments I got was once we left, it wasn't long after that she had told my sister-in-laws, she said, you know, I never really liked him, and I realized how important he was to us because he was constantly challenging us and pushing us and in our grill about doing stuff for the Lord, and now nobody's doing that, and nobody's doing anything. And even though I knew she didn't like me, and you don't like it when I'm up in your grill, and you don't like it when Justin's up in your grill, and you don't like it when people are challenging you on why you can't make it to Sunday school, why you can't be here on time, why you can't be here on Wednesday night, why you're not actually serving when you get here, why you're skipping out on all this stuff. No, we don't like that, do we? It bothers us. It's friction. And God says, listen, a true friend is going to challenge you. He's going to sharpen you. 
He's going to push against you. And one of the things that I can tell you is if I ever get to where I no longer challenge you, I'm done with you. I'm not trying to challenge you anymore. I'm, I'm not wasting my breath anymore. Now, Hebrews 10, 24 says this. Let us consider one another, look at the word, to provoke. That same word provoke is translated in your Bible as contention. So when he says provoking onto love and to good works, he's literally saying it's going to create some contention. Why does he always got to pop off and why I can't be at Sunday school? Well, because the guy actually cares and he's trying to challenge you to get in here and hear the word. Why is he always on me about being on time? Because he cares about you and he's trying to push you to doing what you're supposed to be doing. Why is he mad because I'm not actually serving anywhere? Because he cares and he's trying to push. And I know it's contentious, but notice verse 25. Now, we rarely put 24 and 25 together. We always snatch 25 out and say, hey, you got to be at church. All right? Now, notice here, the idea is to provoke you onto love and good works. Well, the good works are supposed to work through that local assembly where we're training you in this building but sending you out to do the work of the ministry. But if you never come here for the training, how are we going to send you out there to do the work? Well, I don't like always being told that. I, I, I know, and I don't like to always have to tell you. I wish you'd just come to church and we can get it over with. If you just show up, I wouldn't say nothing, right? Show up on time, too. All right, now, check this out. Draft horses, you know, Clydesdale, Belgians, and stuff like that. I was reading this story, and the average draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds. To put that in perspective, my truck out there is a little under 8,000 pounds. And one of these horses can drag it, and I'm not talking about with the wheels. I'm talking about it being in park, and that horse can drag it. So if one horse can drag 8,000 pounds, if you put two of them together, logic says they should get 16,000 pounds. That's not true. It's actually 24,000 pounds. Three times more than one can do it with just two horses. Because two is better than one, and their labor brings much reward. Proverbs right here in the horses, guys. Now what's even more interesting than that is if you have two draft horses that have been raised together and worked together regularly, it's 32,000 pounds. And the reason being is because they are a team. And they, each horse will challenge the other horse to push more, or pull more, excuse me. And what I'm trying to say is if you have somebody in the body of Christ that is challenging you and pushing you, you will go farther than you ever thought you could. But if you have nobody in your life pushing you, all you're going to do is 8,000 pounds. But boy, if you can get somebody that will come up alongside you and be your partner, your accountability partner that holds your feet to the fire, and you do that regularly, this is what discipleship is. This is where a guy comes along and says, we're pulling the weight together. 
And man, that will really get you going now. Watch, all right? It, not, it, it, it breeds success, but it breeds success in our marriages. Watch this. Ephesians 5.22. Here's your hashtag, Wedstrong. All right? Ephesians 5.22, we always go there and we start these verses, right? Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands. And every guy's like, amen, brother. You tell her. Then we go to verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife. See there? I'm in charge. You're not in charge. This is how I preach at Wedstrom. But nobody looks at verse 21. I didn't go find verse 21 out of context. It's literally the verse before. Wives, you submit yourself. Well, hold up, big boy. What did verse 21 say? Submitting yourselves one to another. Which means when it comes to accountability, it's not, hey, I'm the man, I'm in charge, I don't answer to you. Uh, yes, you do. Yes, you do, husband. You give an account to your wife. You expect her to give an account to you, you need to give an account to her. It's both ways. How about, how about not only in our marriages, but how about success in our children? Accountability breeds success. Proverbs says it this way, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Listen, I've told my kids their, their whole existence. You can have all the friends you want. You only get two parents. I'm not your friend. I'm your parent. And I've got a 26-year-old, a soon-to-be 24, and a 21, almost 21, and I'm still parenting. And I will never stop parenting until the breath leaves my body. Because you only get two parents. And I have a job to do, and I'm going to do it while there's breath in me. And what the goal of parenting is, is to hold your kids accountable. That's why it clearly says, you're not to leave them to themselves. You're to hold them accountable. Which means I got a 26-year-old daughter who has a curfew. You go, oh. Oh, I know. I can look at society today. 99% of the problem with most children today is the parents not holding them accountable. Here's the problem. Because you fail miserably as a parent, then that kid becomes an adult. And when that kid didn't submit to its parent and it didn't give an account to its parent, then it expects not to have to give an account to anybody in society. And if a kid will tell its parents no, then it'll tell the cop no. It'll tell the judge no. It'll tell the teacher no. And our job is to make sure, no, 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 you're going to give an account. And one day, not only will you stand before God, but my kids are to understand, you give an account to this church, to this local pastor. Like, we submit. This is what we do. So it's not only that, but we, it brings success in our finances. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we'll deal with that later. But guys, accountability in your finances goes a long way. People left to themselves, when it comes to money, they end up in a mess. And number D, letter D, it breeds success in our daily walk with God. And this is what I've been trying to challenge you with. Find someone, someone that you can team up with who will challenge you to walk with God the way you're supposed to. Because if you don't, let me tell you what happens. 
I know in my own personal life that when I don't have somebody holding my feet to the fire, you just kind of veer off. You go do what's natural and just not do it. But yet, if you know somebody's going to challenge you, boy, that's, that's another story. Number two, accountability boosts support. Not only does it breed success, verse 9, but verse 10, it boosts support. Notice what he says. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe unto him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him. I ski. And where I ski, if you fall, the hardest challenge at that point is to get back up. You're on the side of this mountain. One ski's probably 10 feet up above you. It's done knocked off. You got to climb up there and get it. But you know what's really great is if you're skiing with somebody and you fall and that person skis down right below you and stops. I do this with CJ regularly. And you, what you do is you just plant your ski right there next to his and grab his arm and just pull up and boom, he pops right back up. But if you ever fall in that position and you don't have a friend around, oh, son, it is a challenge to get back up. That is how God has designed this world. You were not designed to be a loner. God has designed the body of Christ to work together and to help each other when we fall. Hebrews 3.12 says it this way, exhort one another daily. The problem is, we exhort each other weekly, if you show up. Daily. Do you have somebody in your life right now that's constantly challenging you daily to serve? To live out the Christian life? Galatians says it this way, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, the guy standing there with the skis still on upright, ye which are spiritual, Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And he says, when you do this, the guy standing up who's helping the guy up, we're not talking trash while we're picking him up. We're looking at him going, yeah, I could be in your same spot. And so we spread grace and mercy because we want grace and mercy. And so the bottom line is, we're supposed to be supporting one another. Instead, we tear each other down. Now, accountability builds sincere intimacy. Verse 11. All right, notice here. And again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And, and what he's basically saying is, you know, Justin and I, we're, we're out backpacking somewhere. This would never happen because I, I would have to come back to the hotel at night. I'm not backpacking anywhere. But let's just... Let's just say we were out going somewhere, got lost, big storm or whatever, and you, it's dark. They tell you that to conserve heat, that you lay together with your bodies. You know what this means? It means Justin and I are going to die. <laughs> I'd rather die freezing as a man than go, to, go on living and happen to get that out of my head, all right? So now, my bottom line is it's making sense. He's saying, listen, by yourself, you're going to freeze together, or to, to freeze to death, but together you can have warmth. Now, notice this. We find this kind of relationship with Jonathan and David, 
And it even says that the soul of Jonathan was knitted with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Do you have anybody in your life like that? I heard, I heard this thing multiple times on reels. Where this guy was saying, I may not have six men to carry my casket. I just need one that will carry it until his legs fall off. Most people don't have six really good friends. Most people have less real, true friends you can count on one hand. Do you have somebody that will challenge you to be the best Christian you can possibly be? If you don't, you got to find somebody that will. It may be your spouse. It may be a brother, it may be a sister, it may be somebody in your life, it may be a good friend, it may be your discipler, but you've got to find somebody who will hold your feet to the fire, and that your souls will be knitted together like theirs. Watch this. If you're into discipleship, listen to what I'm about to tell you. This is Paul speaking to Timothy, and he says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, right? We all agree that our job as disciples is to get you some doctrine, get you some teaching. But notice what he says here. My manner of life. In other words, Timothy knew the intimacy of Paul. He knew things about Paul that nobody else knew. And what he was saying is, Paul, or, or Timothy, there is nothing in my life you don't know about. And true friendship and true discipleship is when you are able to reveal the real... How are you ever going to pour your life into another person if you won't even reveal the real person there is? And Paul's saying, listen, man, I got you the doctrine, but I gave you my life also. And you know me in a personal way. Statistics say that most people not just men, most people in this building struggle with pornography. You feel comfortable to talk to anybody else in here about that? It takes a real friend to be able to talk to you. And that's just one example of problems that would come in our life. And we need somebody in our life that I can go sit down with and say, hey man, I'm struggling in this area, and here's the issue. In order to be able to sit down and tell that person, you got to trust on a level beyond what most of us have as friends. Because most Baptists are going to go, oh, well, I'm going to use that information as gossip later. And so what we do is just bottle it up. I can't tell nobody. And we continue to struggle in things in life. Last of all, I'm closing right here. Watch. Accountability brings safety. Notice here what he says. If one prevail against him, now, who do you think the one is? You and I have an enemy, 1 Peter 5, 8, who is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You ever watch these African safari videos and what the lions do? They chase and get one by itself. If you can stay in the herd, you're safe. First of all, people who watch that stuff, I think you're a little touched in the head, right? You're a little off. 
But what they do is they, they get the one, or it's generally a weak one, off, away from the herd, and then attack and mutilate. Same thing happens here. That's why God refers to Satan as a lion. He's looking for the weak that he could separate from the herd. And what God's saying is if you got somebody, he says, man, two shall withstand him. I've watched animals that were getting attacked and a buddy animal will come and hit that lion or whatever and run them off. If you got a friend that will go the distance with you, you got something more valuable than you realize. Now watch, I'm about to be done here. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now we're skipping a few verses, but notice here. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth. Now who's he speaking to? Brethren. And he says, if any of you, who is the you? It's referring back to the brethren. If any of you do err from the truth and one convert him. Now, we're not talking about converting a lost person into a saved person. We're talking about saved people who get outside the will of God. And he says, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert. In other words, one guy comes in and says, hey, man, you're, you're, you're on the wrong path here. I want to help you. He says, let him know. That he that converteth the sinner, now he's not referring to a sinner as in the realm of, by nature, a sinner. He's, he's saying to the one who has erred from the truth, who is out sinning. He says, listen, if you go to him and get him on the right track, he says, do you understand how much of the multitude of sin is hidden? But if you don't have anybody that will convert you, Nobody that will come up and say, hey, I've noticed in your life you're doing this. And I just want to, as your friend, get you on the right path. Do you have somebody that will do that? The reason some of you will never actually fulfill your Christian walk the way you're supposed to is because you have nobody that will get up in your grill and challenge you to live out the life you're supposed to live. Maybe you've had some people that tried, and your reaction was to get defensive. Instead of recognizing these people actually care. They're just trying to get me down on the right path. And the bottom line is, watch this. Let's talk about holding you accountable when it comes to gossip. I'm going to read you a verse, and I want to hit home real quick. Proverbs 16, or 6, 16 through 19, says there's six things that God hates, yea, the seven is an abomination. In other words, there are seven things he lists. The first six, he hates. The seventh one, he says that one's an abomination. So whatever the first six are, he's like, I hate them. But whatever that seventh one is, God says, that's even worse. Now let's just read them. The first one is a proud look. Two is a lying tongue. Three is hands that shed innocent blood. You know what we could fill in on that? 
Number four, a heart that devises wicked imagination. Five, feet that be swift in running to mischief. Six, a false witness that speaketh lies. So would you all agree that verse three is murder? Or not verse three, the third sin. Murder. We're all on agreement that God, God's hating murder. But then he lists the seventh one and he says, that's even worse. What can be worse? He that soweth discord among the brethren. I think you're going a little overboard, God. Murder's got to be worse than that. Read it. If, listen to me, if we spent as much energy spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ as we spend spreading gossip, this world would be saved. You ever had somebody challenge you with that? You get a little nugget on somebody, come over and go, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? And they turn to you and go, listen, I, I don't want to hear that. You ever been in one of those situations? It's very uncomfortable. But it needs to be done. Here we are trashing each other. Yet we never spread the gospel. We just like to talk trash about everybody. And we need some people in our lives to challenge us when we're getting a little out of sorts. Problem is, guys, we're, we're getting away from the game plan and the focus of getting this book into people's lives and changing people's lives. And the reason we're getting away from all that is we don't have anybody in our life holding our feet to the fire to say, hey, are you doing that? Have you witnessed today? When's the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus Christ? And I'm not up here just pointing a finger. I need people challenging me. Corey, when's the last time you talked to somebody about Christ? When's the last time you witnessed? When was the last time that you took the Bible and sat down with somebody? I'm not talking about in a classroom setting, guys. This is easy. I'm talking about taking the life that God has given us and challenging our brothers and sisters to being accountable. So I'm closing with this thought. Who are you accountable to? Who do you have right now in your life that is holding your feet to the fire? And if your answer is, I don't have one, get one. Let's stand to our feet. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done. We're asking God that we would have people in our lives to challenge us to serve you in such a way that one day when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, that we are not standing there with ashes, but with precious stones. That one day when we stand before you, we are not filled with shame, but our hands are filled with crowns that we could lay at your feet. God, we ask and pray that you would help each one of us to have someone in our life like a Jonathan and a David to challenge us to serve you on a greater level. If anybody hears today that never been saved, God, I'm praying that somehow, some way, you'll speak to their heart, show them their need of a Savior. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen.